and welcome to Undrafted, a Dynasty Game Theory podcast brought to you by the Undroppables. I am your host, Scott Belanger, a.k.a. Jax Falcone. You can find me on Twitter at Dino Game Theory. This is episode 41. Let's roll. Best ball season heating up. Um, and uh, and I, I get pretty excited. I like to be in a, in a best ball draft pretty much at all times. Uh, you know, if it's a slow draft, those are fun. You know, just throw in a slow draft and, 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 you know, you're always on the clock. It sounds like fun to me right out the summer on the clock. So I'm going to be on the clock for June, July, August. Can't wait. Keep drafting. But uh, today I've got a very special guest and very excited to bring on a, a, a gentleman that I've, I've been listening to for a few years now. Um, I have on the show with me today, a gentleman named Danny Kelly. Danny Kelly is a writer, podcaster, et cetera, for The Ringer. Danny Kelly, welcome to the show. What's happening, man? I appreciate that you call me a gentleman. That's yeah. nice. I don't know if I've haven't had many people call me a gentleman lately, so that was very lovely. Thank I, you. I usually start really nice on these things because <laughs> usually towards the end I'm calling people idiot and stuff All like right. that. No, I don't do Good that. Good to know. No, no, I don't. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I'm excited to talk Dynasty. Uh, we were talking before the show, and um, for most of my work at the Ringer, I do like season long stuff and 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 sort of like more down, like right down the middle, like big, <laughs> big media stuff. But I love Dynasty. I'm in like 12 leagues. Um, I've been be- basically become obsessed with it over the last couple of seasons, and I obviously do a lot of draft work for the Ringer. So um, just kind of like I just love the that aspect of it, drafting and, and building teams, all that. Yeah, exactly. I was, uh, I kind of, you know, I've been a listener of your show for a long time and, you know, as much as I can, I do listen and, uh, you know, you guys are, you know, quote unquote, big media and you do hit things down the middle a bit. And by the way, you do a great job at that. So, you know, in that space, uh, that's probably why I listen to you guys because it's like worthwhile, (laughs) uh, even though it's sort of down the middle, which Mm -hmm. is what you are, but I always hear you sort of sneaking in like, (laughs) <laughs> a little bit of dynasty talk or a little bit of yeah. advanced talk. And, and you're like, not that anybody cares about that stuff, but anyway, back to the, you know, back to the vanilla, but like, I could see you just trying to lean in. And so, you know, I, I, I wasn't sure if you were, you know, into dynasty leagues, I figured you were in at least a couple. And then when you, when you texted me and said 12, I was like, my boy, this is, this is my guy. <laughs> and I'm this like, I need guy. a few more too. I feel like um, <laughs> they, all the, all the uh, startups are over right now. I'm like, I need a startup draft. We, I did yes. a, a few before the draft. Startups and are fun. Now I'm like, man, it's boring. I need I need something to like fill my June and July in the next couple of months, and so I might try and get a couple more going, but we'll see. Yeah, you're you're also another. Um, you also kind of line up with me. First of all, with those dynasty leagues. Secondly, with the draft work you do, I, I've always been a draft nick, and mm-hmm. you know I've I've done draft work uh, when I wasn't working. You know, it's like something <laughs> right. I would do for fun. I would like evaluate as many players as possible. I've done this for years just as a hobby. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's like, I know there's a lot of people listening who are like nodding their head right now. Like, yeah, 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 me too. Um, (laughs) You know, because it's one of those things. That's why the content that we put out on the draft stuff is so popular because everybody else is playing along with us. They're like, oh yeah, I agree, you know, or whatever, you know, there's that whole thing. It just gets everybody excited. Yeah. I love the draft, the uncertainty, um, kind of trying to like pit your, eye or your skill at evaluating against the NFL and see like, you know, that kind of stuff is just really fun. Um, from the dynasty point of view, it's perfect too, because I love, like I always loved trying to find the young guy who's going to break out in season long leagues, but it's like so hard because most of the time 
if they do break out, it's later in the season, then they're not really like at the level of a keeper. And so it's just one of those things where it's frustrating. So I love dynasty for that, but you know, the ability to identify a guy you think is good and has a chance to, you know, outplay his draft spot or his ADP or whatever, and then you get to keep him forever. So um, yes. I love that part of it. It's just, it's just really fun to, to do that stuff. And it, it meshes perfectly with like my actual like career workload, which is like a lot of draft, a lot of evaluation. Um, and then obviously a lot of season long fantasy football stuff. So, um, I think it's just kind of like the perfect balance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it does help you too, because like, you know, I can, I can say that like, you know, understanding the utility of a player is just as good as understanding the skill. Like Henry Ruggs last year is a really good player, but he's better real football than he is for fantasy football because we know right. he's sort of a field stretcher. And by the way, I, I saw some some stuff that, you know, if if, uh, if if Gruden can kind of get his head on right, might be able to use him a little bit different. I forget who it was, man. I wish I could credit them, but they had shared uh, how Henry Ruggs was used in college versus how he was used in the NFL, his average depth of target, how many uh, slants and screens he saw, how mm-hmm. many crossers he – crossing targets he saw and he saw a, a way higher percentage of those types of targets in college where he was able to use his athleticism and yeah. it felt like you know oakland just said all right line up out here and go deep man yeah it was weird because and i could be remembering a little bit wrong but i think i i feel like he really didn't even get that many deep targets in college anyway he was used as a yak guy he's like basically right. a uh, not a gadget player at all. That's not really what it was. But like, I'm I'm picturing like a Paris Campbell where you get it, get yes. it to him and get it in space. Let him just annihilate pursuit angles. And it's like you said, Adot. His Adot was low. He wasn't like a quote unquote deep threat type guy. Right. And so like, of course, the Raiders draft him and turn him into a deep threat because the Raiders are the Raiders and the Raiders um, gonna Raider. I mean, yeah. Don't get me started on that. But like, I think that. You know, I don't. I I think I have one dynasty share of, of rugs, and it was from a team that I inherited. So um, he wasn't a guy I was like super high on in the dynasty world, just because I didn't think he was going to get peppered and peppered with targets. But um, if they change the way that they use him, I still think he's got some potential. You know what I mean? Like it's not going to be where he's just a decoy on every play. Um, but from the get go, it never really felt like a great pairing um and then the way that they were using him definitely didn't feel right so hopefully they can figure it out get Derek <laughs> yeah. Carr to like get him you know more involved in the short and intermediate area because that's really sort of like where his game is is located really and you know get get, get somebody Waller's got to have some help there right like <laughs> yes so I don't know I'm still somewhat excited to see what happens with rugs but I'm definitely not like a buyer at this point no, it's, uh, you know, it's like you got to trust the offense. It's kind of like when Kadarius Tony, RIP, went to the Giants. You know, it also was like, I mean, at least if he goes someplace, if he goes someplace with some creativity, you know, where you're like, oh, I'll tell you, you know, the Carolina or Kansas City or something like that, where you could imagine them sort of jet sweeping his ass and, mm-hmm. you know, getting him involved. Whereas, you know, um, he goes to Dallas where, you know, they've just got so many, uh, you know, people ahead of them. And, you know, they, they use motion the least frequent amount of times in the NFL last Great. year, pre-snap motion. Like, that's kind of what's going to set a guy like Kadarius Tony up. It's like all these things, like, you know, you, you to understand those things at, at a better level, you know, and then to couple them with things that I know you also pay attention to, which is like, you know, college dominator, early, early breakout age, um, you know, all these things. And, you know, why do we use college dominator over raw stats? It, 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 it 
shows that you can be good. You know, some some offenses like uh, Burrow's offense passed six thousand yards or whatever right. it was, and that was some ridiculous. some college offenses only passed two thousand yards. Well, yeah. a thousand yard season and a two thousand yard offense is much more impressive than a thousand yard season in a six thousand yard offense, obviously. But nonetheless, it, it, it lets us highlight how players perform in their circumstances. And I know you look at all those things. Then when you cross-reference it with, you know, scheme fit and utility of a player, that's when it becomes really fun to sort of understand and and, and figure out what's going to happen uh, yeah. going forward. Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, because everybody likes to, in the Dynasty community, likes to put a label on it. It's like, this is a tape guy or this is a analytics guy or whatever. I try and kind of like go right down the middle. I'm not like, I'm not so rigid with the analytics where you know i'm gonna turn i'm, I'm gonna just completely ignore all guys that aren't like analytically strong i'm probably gonna more often than not lean analytics but um i'm also like spending hours and hours and hours and hours and hours watching tape for the draft guy that i do at the ringer and um sometimes you know guys just grow on you and you think that they can kind of be not an outlier but they can outplay what their analytical profile says and sometimes there's a lot of you know, extenuating circumstances around why a player didn't put po- like post big numbers. So like, for instance, Josh Palmer at Tennessee yes. is like the offense was terrible. Um, he was still leading the team in, in um, I believe he, he led the team in yards and touchdowns this year. Um, yeah. And so it's like, even though those numbers are, it's like less than 500 yards, he's still leading the team in yards. So yeah. there's some context that you need to put in there. Um, Well, Josh Palmer is a great example, too, because he was fairly dominant in a very bad offense. And, (laughs) you know, and and analytically, that's good because, you know, that gives him a good, uh, you know, dominator score. But also he was drafted in the third round. So he's a day one or day two draft uh, player, which also puts him, you know, in the in the pool of players, wide receivers who are it's possible they succeed you know it's very very rare and difficult to pick a fourth round pick or later that's going to succeed it does happen don't right at me i mean i understand but if you just look at raw probabilities that day one or day two capital really goes a long way and he's got that he's got dominator uh and he's he's linked up with you know uh the god uh Herbert, you know, who everybody loves. I mean, it's really mm-hmm. hard to find a bad word about Herbert, which is amazing. Go back a year and a few months. <laughs> everybody hated you Herbert. Everybody crap about him right now. No, I'm just kidding. No, you can't. I know you're not gonna. I've heard you. No, go for it. Yeah, you can't do it. It's impossible. It's just like they're like bullets that fly off the, you know, they just come right back and hit you. You're in trouble if you do it. Um, but no, it's like, but a year and change ago, everybody was like, oh, he's got happy feet, can't look down the field. And it's like, dude was looking down the field in the pros, wasn't he? Uh, yeah. And I, so the other thing that, yeah, like to that point with Josh Palmer specifically, Mm. um, you know, landing spot is, I always try and avoid like overreacting to landing spot. Um, when a guy lands in a bad situation, like if, for instance, like Rashad Bateman, like don't overreact to that too much is my opinion. But on the other hand, like landing spot can be beneficial for some guys where you can see a guy, even if you want to just try and like draft him and then trade him when things start getting hype, like when he starts getting some hype or whatever. Like if, if you're looking for a good investment in like the third round of a, of a rookie draft where you almost, well, like most years, you're not really going to have a high likelihood of finding guys like Josh Palmer, I think is a good pick because going into next year, if Mike Williams signs with another team, all of a sudden Josh Palmer looks like the wide receiver two in, in a, a Justin Herbert led offense. Um, and then you know you have the chance to potentially like trade him and and get a good get a good uh, 
value bump on that. It's totally true. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's projected opportunity there. And I think that's exactly what you look for, you know, with, uh, with those later round picks. I mean, later round rookie picks for sure. You know I mean? Yeah. Josh Palmer after the second round feels like an absolute smash in the third round for me in a, in a, in a super flex rookie draft. So I'm with you hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. We're going to get to some of these prospects, but let's start off at the top. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let's start off at the top where we, uh, where we just had one of the best wide receivers in the history of the game change teams, <laughs> not in his prime in, yeah. in his, in his late prime. He's, he, I still think on any given, you know, I, I may not be as good as I once was, but I'm as good as I ever was, you know, whatever that song, right? <laughs> Michael's going to put that in there. No, but you know, it's like he can get to those levels, but he sustains injury, he sort of can't stay on the right. field. It's like, those are the questions. We're not wondering, is Julio Jones any good anymore? We're just wondering, can he be that good for 15 or 16 games? Yeah. Don't know about that. Yeah, I'm generally bullish on him because um, I think it's going to be the the Titans offense reminds me a little bit of like what you saw with the Seahawks last year, where all the passing game is going to be funneled into basically two guys. Yep. um, AJ Brown and Julio Jones. Um, And I think with those two guys working on the outside, it's going to be like a symbiotic relationship. It's going to work well with like what they got with Derrick Henry going on. So I can see this offense being pretty good again. Yes. Um, I think Julio is, and I saw, I actually heard uh, Daniel Jeremiah was saying this the other day on his podcast. And I thought that was interesting. He said that the people that he's talked to in the league based on the GPS data that they have, he's slowed down a little bit. Um, I don't think, and talk about Julio. Um, I don't think he's slowed down to the point where he's going to be like, a non-factor you know what i mean he's 32 years old he's probably gonna not run a 4-3 anymore right but he's still so skilled and so um you know explosive in the short area maybe he's not like it ha- doesn't have as much like high-end speed now but he's still gonna move he's still big he's still physical he can still you know go up and catch the ball um so i i still have high hopes for him i think um i was putting together my rankings for for redraft the other day and i still think i have him as like a, a mid-level wide receiver too, because I think that they're still going to funnel all those targets to Julio and AJ this year. And so, um, yeah, I'm still bullish on him, but I, in, in dynasty, um, you know, I think at some point he's going to start falling off. And, and so you got to decide whether you want to kind of like sell right now and, and sort of take the bump. Uh, I don't know. He, maybe his value did take a hit because he, he left Atlanta. Um, yeah. but if he has like a big game or two early in the season, that might be the point to sell. Yeah, and I think um, you know it all depends on roster construction. Like for me, yeah, if you're a competitive team and he's one of your pieces, look, he's got wide receiver, top six wide receiver in the NFL upside in terms of fantasy production. I mean, he really does. The yeah. thing I've, I've been thinking about is like he goes from Atlanta, where he's clearly the alpha number one, to now sort of being a a secondary field stretcher. Like this is really cool. Like this <laughs> this Julio role, you know, with this play action offense, yeah, you know, with Derrick Henry just beating your ass downhill and AJ Brown is just someone who always, I mean, AJ Brown is gone right now. Like if he's give him just a, a, a an inch of room, he's going to take advantage of it and beat a corner, beat a safety and be gone. Like he yeah. is, he is really, really rugged. Like he can break tackles as good as any, like this side of Nick Chubb, as good as any player in the NFL, like he yeah. is just going to beat your ass. And so having those two types of just monsters of men, on either sort of pole 
just now you have Julio on the other side. It's just like it's going to be a really, really difficult offense to cover. Um, I think they've got okay tight end and slot play. You know, if you Mm – Josh Reynolds. You know, look, I was not too excited about Josh Reynolds as the number two, but as a number three, I'm actually very excited about that. Um, You know, so Josh Reynolds, whether Des Fitzpatrick's any good, who knows. Ferkser showed some things. Like, those are all good enough pieces to sort of support the awesomeness of the other three, you know, uh, supernovas. And you're right. You know, I kind of penciled Tennessee for about 500, you know, pass attempts somewhere in there. I mean – you know, I, I, a little bit higher than it's been in the past, obviously due to the five, uh, the seventeen game season as well. Right. Um, but uh, I think that they're going to get at least fifty percent of that. You know, like Julio. Right. I mean, yeah. probably closer to sixty percent, but certainly more than fifty percent of of targets when they're on the field. Again, obviously, if Julio gets hurt, uh, you know, injuries not aside, I think sure. you're going to be seeing twenty five to thirty percent for each guy right in that ballpark. Yeah, it's funny because like every year. Or not every year, but like, you know, you always ask the question, is this offense good enough to sustain two wide receiver ones, you know? And some years you see, like last year, I believe, um, was Justin, were Justin Jefferson and Thielen both wide receiver yes. ones last year? Yep. Um, that was like not an offense I think you really expected to be like that Correct. kind of, you know what I mean? It's, it's so it's like every year there's some, a, a little bit of a surprise, um, where it comes from maybe it was the year when godwin and and evans um were both wide receiver ones with Jameis. um so i'm not you know i'm not necessarily going to project that but it wouldn't be that surprising to me honestly if these guys were both wide receiver ones because i think Tannehill is good i think they're going to be explosive with that play action passing game um i think julio is a big boost for Tannehill because in situations where they can't uh use play action like for instance third and ten where you know the defense is like we're not gonna honor the run really you know well it's not like derrick henry's different but he's not that different to the (laughs) point where you're like running on third and ten and expecting to get a first no this is a this is a great take i love where you're going with this this is so i think yeah so like julio i think actually will help a ton in those situations their their third down you know conversion rate may go up a little bit marginally and then that just like you know think about the boost that brings to their ability to score touchdowns and score points. So I think, you know, there's a chance this offense could be really good in Tennessee. And, um, you know, so I'm, I'm definitely like very interested in these two guys. And, and um, I think it was an absolute, it was a move that the Titans absolutely had to make. And I think it really absolutely. Get, gets them like to the point where they're going to be actually pretty interesting in, in like real football too. So. Yeah, so you think maybe on third and long, it's nice to have a pterodactyl on the outside to throw the football yeah. to. Yeah, maybe well, maybe like it's a good way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like what the hell? I mean, because he really has never had that, and nobody's ever had that. That's kind of the point. Is like people are getting lost in the fact. Look, he's thirty-two. It's possible that you know he he just can't make it happen. That's definitely always possible, but. Should he be able to sort of be out there as Julio is out there, like however healthy he is, however strong and fast he is, it's all healthy and strong and fast enough uh, as long as he can stay injury free. Yeah, and 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 having Julio out there is obviously a big help. Uh, but I think it, I think it lowers AJ Brown's ceiling uh, mm-hmm. a little, of course. But I think it increases the team's overall, you know. Um, possibility of passing offense so right right you know while it lowers his ceiling i think it you know his floor probably is still fine i mean if if you told me that uh aj brown sees less than 120 targets this year i'd ask what happened to his knee like mm-hmm. it's not happening he's gonna still see all that target share and you know you're right on third and third and long it's like aj brown is not necessarily that like 
go up and get it like guys. So I think they they do have that that duplicity now. They can play multiple. So um yeah, with Tennessee, you mentioned that they um that they sort of had to do this. And I can remember all throughout the draft, it was like they were going to take a wide receiver. They were mm-hmm. going to take a wide receiver like Elijah Moore at, at, at uh, in the first round late, Rashad Bateman. I think both guys were on the on the on the board. They passed like they yeah. passed on wide receiver. I wonder, you know, AJ Brown was out there like swinging, talking like he's coming. Like you know, the whole time was like very overconfident on social media about the whole Julio coming there. Mm. I wonder if they kind of had like a little tiny bit of a. Hey, this is going to happen type right, of thing. You right. know, like after June 1, we're like definitely going to a wink and a nod. Yeah, oh, yeah. Right, because it just all felt so like, oh, yeah, of course it's happening, right? Like I I wonder yeah. if they just knew. Yeah, I think I don't know if he if they knew knew, but like there's they've probably yeah. been talking over it a while and apparently Julio asked for a trade before the draft, I think is what what the reports said. So, you know, it's been a thing for a while and um it would make sense, yeah, that they waited until the fourth round to draft a receiver thinking they were going to get Julio Jones. Now, there <laughs> right. was reports that Seattle was in on it. Um, basically, all the NFC West teams were in on, or at least like calling right. you know, Atlanta, asking kind of what the deal was. But apparently, no, no one made an offer. Right. So um, maybe that was just uh, the Falcons trying to like drive the price up a little bit for the, for the Titans, put the, put the pressure on the Titans to like throw in an extra pick or something like that. Or sure. take the, you know what I mean? Like, I agree that could have <laughs> been what that was. Um, but yeah, it, in retrospect, it's, it feels a little bit like they, they felt really strongly that they were going to get Julio because yeah, Des Fitzpatrick, you know, right. it's not necessarily, they didn't be, sign anybody. Yeah, like they let all their players. Yeah. yeah. It's just everything led up to it. And even like Julio being like, I'm out of here when he was on, you know, like if, if you read the yeah. Silva leaves yeah, in I'm hindsight, yeah. you know, if you read the Silva leaves in hindsight, they all make sense. Like not again, like they knew, knew, like you said, I totally agree. They couldn't have known, but like if they had su- significant conversations, the agent was like, I like that for him. Mm-hmm. This is all good. Like if they had conversations, everybody was like, you know, doing the nod together, like, uh-huh, this is going to work for us. You right. know, Julio's like, yes, his agent, yes. Atlanta, yes. Tennessee, yes. Well, we can't do it till June 1st. Hey, man, as long as you're there and ready to make that offer, we'll do it. Okay, great. Move on. If Tennessee sets themselves up to do it, Boom! They make it happen. I mean, it does make a little bit of sense. Not that they knew, but I think they had they had uh, they had their eyes on that the whole way, and, and they succeeded. They got it done, you know. So that was what I saw there. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. Like I said before, it's kind of crucial for them because I was sort of out on the idea that yeah. they were you know going to be like a significant playoff team before making this trade. And I think this really kind of like is a force multiplier for their offense. It makes everybody better. It kind of like brings everything together and i think if they're going to win this year they're going to have to be a really high scoring offense because their defense is still going to be a work in progress i totally 100 percent agree I, I think it was your partner danny heifetz that was a little bit less uh positive that right. he made any sort of a difference and i disagreed with him uh you know silently angrily on this side of the podcast you know without but now i have my own podcast i can Shaking come out and your tell fist at him yeah. yes at the podcast like people do to me they hate listen we know that so we, <laughs> we've got the data analytics and they just they hate listen it's fine i'm, yeah. I'm okay with but um but yeah i think uh i think julio does make that difference and you know while i would equate it to the randy moss acquisition for new england it's not the exact same because randy moss was still in his uber prime and is a better 
player by a degree than Julio, right. but Julio's really, really close to that, and he's really, really good. And he he does change the geometry of the field again, as you point yeah. out with the with the Derrick Henry, AJ Brown. Like if he just went to that a team and he's the only weapon, it's kind of like. Eh, but I think he does move the needle for a team that that was quote unquote that close, right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I agree. I if mean, we imagine, to, yeah. yeah go ahead. One last note is just like imagine if AJ Brown or Derrick Henry got hurt, like where would they be? <laughs> Not good. Yeah. So not good. Not good. Yeah, good they're, they're, that's right. Um, so moving over to the Atlanta side, you know, uh, you know, when you talk about uh, Tennessee, kind of every move made sense in a, in, a, in, a, in a line, and they all connected to one another. <laughs> I think the maybe the Atlanta was the complete opposite of that. Not yeah. a single one of their moves made sense when the other move was made. Like, you know, you bring in Kyle Pitts, you're like, all right, this whole, this team's They're only chance to it. win is yeah. is the Pitts Ridley Julio fucking good luck attack right yeah and then they're like nah, let's just fuck that up and you know oh well if they're gonna you know keep matt ryan they restructure him and go for it you know nothing made sense like if they were gonna do this why not just you know eat it this year draft field i don't know i mean yeah what do i know i mean but that's kind of what i felt like this was a go for it move and then a non-go for it move and getting rid of them uh but they put themselves in this hell because of cap but uh, I, I, there had to have been some other ways they could have gotten out of this and kept Julio just one more year. Yeah, I, the whole thing does feel like this weird about face after the draft. I don't, you know, some teams sometimes just talk themselves into the idea that they're going to be a contender. And last year, I think the Falcons did show enough. Um, they got kind of unlucky. They were, I, I, I believe they were, you know, in a lot of one score games and lost. And so like, there's this like thought maybe that they're like, we're close. We're, we're pretty close. Um, and so I could see them talking themselves into the, the, the idea that they're going to be contenders, but I think this just makes it very tough because it's the same deal with the Titans. Like they were probably in my mind going to need to score like a ton of points. And that was going to be how they were going to be dangerous. Um, I don't, I don't have a ton of faith in their in their defense. Um, I don't have a ton of faith in their pass rush. You know, really any level of their defense, to be honest. And so it's just, you know, maybe they make a jump. But at this point in time, they don't really look to me like a um, a strong contender now with Julio no. gone. And like you gotta you gotta expect Pitts is. I don't know. I mean, he's gonna be awesome. I think he's gonna put up a lot of yards and points, but um, yards and touchdowns. But he's not gonna be Julio. And no. you know you can't really expect a 20 year old rookie to do that. So That's I don't right. know. It's, it's definitely going to be, it, it, to me, it's definitely like a downgrade. Matt Ryan becomes less interesting in fantasy. Um, Calvin Ridley becomes much more interesting though. He has the potential to be like top three at this point. Yes. Um, and then obviously Kyle Pitts, it's huge for Kyle Pitts. So um, team, team point of view, not great. And, and for Matt Ryan, I don't think it's that great, but uh, you know, kind of wheels up on Pitts and, and, and Ridley because again, they're going to get like the vast majority of the, the target load, I think. Yeah. It's really hard to come away from this, not moving Pitts and Ridley up. And what's crazy is moving Pitts up is hard to do because Right. You know, everybody's so excited. I mean, you know, he's getting drafted early in dynasty rookie drafts, regardless of format. He's getting drafted early in best ball leagues. He's getting drafted as the tight end one in some dynasty startups. Yeah. In um, super flex and not startups, <laughs> but super flex rookie drafts. I've seen him he's go going, number one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But even in startups, he's going as the tight end one over Kelsey yeah, Kittle Waller, that. which is not crazy. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I you know. 
again, he hasn't done a single thing in the NFL. We've seen, you know, prolific profiles come out of the college ranks and, and disappoint us at every position. So I don't suspect he will disappoint us, but especially given the current landscape of things, but yeah. you know, he's going to have to really hit these high marks in order to return value for those who's, who have, who have invested in him. I, I'd yeah. say the cheapest uh, investments are some of these rookie picks, you know, the one, five, one, six, one, seven, one, eight, whatever it is. Like those are, that's a fair price to pay for him considering. And I don't think you could pay a next year, you know, go ask the pits owner if they'll take a 22 first for him, not right, happening. So, right, right. you know, that, that investment is certainly fair at this particular point, but you know, he, he he's going to have to hit those numbers, you know, to sort of return that value. If not, it's going to be an interesting conversation of yeah. Hayden Hurst is playing, you know, 65% of the snaps and Pitts is playing 48. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? So I look forward to that. God, I just want to see that. I just want to yeah. see that world and just watch the people freak out. And then I'll also be able to trade for him uh, for those 22 aforementioned 22 firsts. <laughs> yeah. I saw, I've seen it around. I haven't actually like had any offers. Um, I got a couple of Pitts shares in my leagues and I'm excited about that, but um he, the idea that he's literally the most untradeable player right now, like you can't yeah. trade for him. I think that's so interesting. It's like it's ridiculous. People are going to yeah. be even more than like a Jamar Chase because like there's so many receivers. Um, even though I think Chase is an, an amazing uh, prospect, like you can always get another receiver. But like right. he's the uh, Pitts is the unicorn at tight end. He's yes. the next Kelsey in a lot of people's minds. And so, yes. um, you know, it's like I'm not giving him up for anything. Like you can offer me freaking whoever and i'm not going to i'm not going to give him up so uh i think that's been really interesting to see he's like he's the most uh, untradeable player or impossible to trade for player well if i were arthur smith i would actually the, f- the first time i would ever really look at john gruden for some advice but i would look over to that raiders team and see how they use darren waller cuz i do like how they use darren waller as a lot of times he's split out wide he's not, he's alone on one side like mm-hmm. you know uh he plays all over the place. And I think that's a really smart way to deploy Waller. I had talked with Thor Nystrom and, you know, he made the point that they're always in 11 personnel and they're always in 12 personnel when Pitts is on the field, just because he can sort of be a tight end or be a wide receiver, like oh, a legitimate, so yeah, right. Yeah. He's an actual wide receiver when he's a wide receiver. He's an actual tight end when he's a tight end. So, you know, they can dictate a lot with him on the field, you know, as to whatever the defense is doing. If they're light, they can they can run the football. If they're if they're heavy, obviously they're in trouble. So, you know, right? Yeah. So it's going to be pretty interesting to see how people play, uh, you know, how they play it and how Arthur Smith is able to really utilize Pitts as that sort of king chess piece. Yeah. And so it's always a little bit dangerous to assume um competence when when it comes to coaching and making picks and yes. things but like you you have to assume they have like this really big grand plan in mind on how he's going to like change so. their offense and be this like crucial key skeleton skeleton key or whatever to their offense like the capstone piece um so that's really exciting to think about like fourth overall is the highest drafted tight end ever and i mean arthur smith is just coming from an offense where they use a lot of two tight end stuff and so um I mean, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm super excited to see how it ends up. And I do think, uh, like you mentioned, that they're going to look at Waller and kind of be like, this is this is what we got to do. And he did that at Florida. I mean, he was lining up against corners and stuff and beating. he was beating like top level first round corners and stuff. Like he's really a good route runner, really big, strong guy, fast. Um, and he can like run 
legit receiver routes. So exactly. I think it's going to be awesome. Right. So I, I'm so high on him. I mean, I, I know that that's like the most cliche or, or <laughs> the most chalk thing to be, but yes. like, I'm super excited about what he's going to do. Well, I, I, <clears throat> I read your draft guide and, you know, first of all, it's really cool, really fun. Uh, so great Thanks. job. Uh, go to the ringer.com. Check out Danny Kelly's work. Thank you. This message <laughs> brought you. to you by Danny Kelly. Um, <laughs> but um, I'm, like I said, I'm really good at this, Danny. You're, you're going to find that out. Um, but um, I saw that you had him as like, uh, I think, uh, player number three. So the third most talented player in the draft or whatever valuable, yeah. however you're doing number three. And it's hard to disagree with that. Like he is that type of prospect. Um, what's interesting is, you know, when you go back and look at some of the like Gronk, Kittle, these guys weren't drafted in the top 15. Like they weren't, you know, I don't know. Like so many of the gates, like a lot of the tight ends that have actually been the thing we want as a fantasy tight end mm-hmm. weren't Kyle Pitts, right. right? They were something else. And then they're the thing that we like, you know what I mean? So sometimes yep. the things that we've seen that were closest to Kyle Pitts weren't the thing that we want. Not to say that this is reason that we should be fading him. I'm not. I'm just saying it's like yeah, yeah. No, I get skepticism that. and pragmatism have to step in a little bit. But yeah, his 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 arrow is as high as it could possibly be in terms of ceiling. Uh, I think people are ignoring the floor, though. They're ignoring it, which <laughs> maybe it's willful. Yeah, it's I think fun it's like, as fuck to ignore, ignore the floor. So I love it. ignoring the floor. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I think like, yeah, you look back and – and not to say that these guys are their careers are over, but like OJ Howard, David Njoku, there both those guys, super athletes, you know, we were probably saying the same crap about them, yes. like coming in, like, oh, you can line him up all over the formation. He's like a unicorn, blah, 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 yes. super athletic. Um, so I definitely am going into this with the knowledge and like I'm aware that like we've done this before with tight ends. Um but at the end of the day, like I just think he's going to be an outlier for that. So we'll see what yes. we'll see what happens. And you know, I agree with you. By the way, I, if I were betting, yeah. I'm betting on him succeeding. That's not the point, you right, know. Of right, course, right. it's like uh, you know the there's it's always you know range of outcomes. It's like well, what's possible right now? Nobody even thinks it's possible. He's like you know eh, tight end seven. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's like oh no no, he's the best of all time. You know, it's the only outcome that's possible. Look how good he is. You know, <laughs> right. and I get that. It's fun. Speaking of, you know, getting a little excited about prospects, you know, word out of um, Jets camp is that Elijah, Elijah Moore is really good. Mm. And, you know, he was, I, I think it was Rich Rebar. I saw you retweeted it. Um, uh, he mentioned something about uh, Elijah Moore had more yards per game in his senior season or his final season than any player like in the last however long. And yeah. he had a thousand over like 1,100 yards in seven games. That's all he, he played. And, uh, hashtag he's good. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm starting to, uh, you know, every metric, every marker, every point where it's like you're evaluating Elijah Moore, it's like, it's like positive, 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 yeah. good, yeah. good. Like tape guy, film guy, you know, everybody sort of is, I think he might be the second or third best wide receiver in this class. And I'm starting to wonder if, you know, I'm glad that I had him over Waddle. Or whatever, you know, look, I had him in there. I, you know, I actually had Terrace Marshall ranked ahead of him in a lot of my rookie drafts or excuse Mm -hmm. me, in my rookie rankings. But in a lot of my rookie drafts, I would take Elijah Moore over Terrace Marshall because I didn't want 100 percent exposure to 
Terrace, I think they're really close. They're sort of so close. So I have a lot of Elijah Moore and Terrace Marshall, and I'm I'm getting really excited about the Elijah Moore um, opportunities I have. Oh, yeah. What say you? Yeah, no, I, I'm exactly kind of right in that same line. I got I just did my rookie ranks for Superflex uh, today, actually, at the ringer.com. And Elijah Moore is 14, Terrace Marshall's 15. And now, like, in, a, in like, this is one of those things that, you know, maybe you're going to regret or I'm going to regret or whatever. But, like, sometimes I think I wish I would have ranked him. I've been more convicted to rank him over a guy like Waddle, even though Waddle was a six overall pick. You know what I mean? Um, I just think he's so good. He was one of my favorite players to watch. Um, the way he moves reminds me of Antonio Brown. That's not to say he's going to be Antonio Brown, but like just his right. route running style and his movement skills are reminiscent um, of the style that that Brown brings. The only thing I'm worried about a little bit is his size. Like he's 178 pounds, like sub 180 is yep. concerning. <laughs> but at the same time, um, he played big. So in the SEC, like it's not, you know, he's not like playing at some lower lower level where you really have to worry about like the jump in, in um competition he he played against some very good defenses his and to what you're saying about rebar um what rebar had posted and i think it was he had the most receiving yards per game of any uh player going into their final college season in sec history and um uh scott barrett from fantasy points pointed out that when you add in his rushing yards because he had 64 rushing yards last year too on 14 carries um, right 157 scrimmage yards per game was the most for any power five receiver probably ever, at least for the last two decades, but uh, maybe ever. So wow. um, his, his per game production <laughs> is unheard of essentially. And so, um, you know, like, like you said, hashtag he's, he's good. He, yes. the other thing is like, he played mostly in the slot, but I think he's like got the skill set to play out. So he can play everywhere. He can line up in the backfield. I do. I don't think he's going to be like a pure slot only type guy. And so, um, the sky is kind of limit for this guy. I'm, I'm very interested to see. The only thing I'm worried about is the size. Yeah, I uh, I agree. I, you know, uh, my good friend Randall Kennedy had him as his wide receiver too early in the process, right? Uh, so mm-hmm. I I was like, wow, okay. So anyway, you know, and 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 of course everybody's going to be a little bit different, but you know, then you hear film guys all excited. I had put um, <clears throat> this sort of group of Terrace Marshall, Elijah Moore, Jalen Waddle, Rashad Bateman. Mm-hmm. Mostly those guys, Devontae Smith and Rondell Moore as well. Devontae sometimes I felt like was just my clear WR2 in this class. I had a hard time taking any of the other guys, including Elijah Moore, over him. So for me, it was Chase, Devontae, and then this sort of next group, um, which was Marshall Moore, the two Moores, Waddle, Bateman, that, that sort of spot. Yeah. And I wanted to have a little bit of exposure to all of them. but I, So I was always happy sort of – the, the way I played it was I would just trade to the spot where the there would be one available. The last guy in that tier. Yeah, exactly. So if, whatever, if I had picked 10 and there was five left, I'd try to trade to pick 14 or 15. I don't care which one of these guys I get. Oftentimes, Moore or Marshall would fall to me anyway. So I'd get Elijah Moore or <laughs> Terrace Marshall, even though I had them. Yeah, you know, yeah. I had them at the top of that sort of group, but that group was so tightly woven for me. I was fine if Waddle fell or Bateman fell or whomever. And so – yep. I played it that way as much as possible. And even if I picked up, it really didn't matter what profit I picked up. I didn't really care because I literally, you could give me just any anything. one of them. And I was just, yeah, yeah. yeah, anything was fine. I <laughs> moved back for a future third or whatever. It didn't matter, you know? So I tried to play that that way whenever I could in that, in that's, that group. Yeah, and smart. it I served like me that. well because I come out with Elijah Moore so many times, you know, yeah. there, there was, you know, fading him, uh, you know, and again, fading him. Look, pick 15 is not a huge fade, but right. you know, it, it might end up looking that way down the line. 
Yeah, there's probably, you know, some latent Jets <clears throat> pessimism, I think, probably yes. involved there. And um, his size thing is different. Like, it's always tough for me because when you're when you're playing in Dynasty, <clears throat> do you, when everything else is sort of equal, do you get a guy, do you go for a guy like Bateman or Marshall who are big and fast, obviously, and, and kind of fit the profile of like a, quote, alpha receiver? Or do you go for a guy like Moore who's much smaller and generally speaking – you know, the top, the top receivers in the NFL, like, and again, this is just generally speaking, but are typically bigger guys. You know, you, you do have uh, Antonio Browns and guys like that sprinkled in, but um, you know, I think, and, and Tyree kills, but like, I don't know. It's just a tough decision for me, whether to go with like the alpha profile when everything else is equal um, or, you know, go for a guy that you just really liked on tape, like Elijah Moore. I think I, I did, I did exactly the same thing as you did. I kind of like that, here is like really close for me and so i just sprinkled a pretty much everyone in the one guy i actually have zero shares of weirdly enough is rondell moore um for whatever reason it never just fell to me um that way um and i was taking terrace marshall over more over rondell moore in a couple situations and and i might i may end up regretting that so we'll see it's possible i mean you know that's the thing too is if like you and this is kind of a dynasty game theory 101 like if you play in one league one dynasty league it's like oh my god i play in this dynasty league with my friends it's fucking amazing it's so much fun then these decisions are huge yeah it's almost like as huge as the nfl like you feel like shit is it terrace marshall or elijah moore (laughs) right it's like a big choice for this i need to make the right choice and you know it's like you just I don't know. Like it's, they're close. I mean, I don't, I don't, you mm-hmm. know, it's not like I have such conviction. So even as a, an analyst to give advice and to, to look at everything, it's like, yeah, it's like the, the, the Elijah Moore thing is he's small. The Terrace Marshall thing is, you know, he's had some injury. Like there's, you can pick the warts on each player and right, like, you know, right. and, and find a reason to fade him or find a reason to move him up. And they're all, they all have some of that, you know, obviously uh, Rondale Moore, He's small. He's short. You know, he's very small. He's been hurt. I don't think the injuries are too big an issue. I just think of how is he going to win that that sort of go back to that utility. You know, what is his utility in the NFL? Like, how is how is he going to be deployed? That's as as important as whether or not he can do it or not. Like, he may be able to play outside and go up and get jump balls, but we may never find out because no coach would be crazy enough to try it, you know. (laughs) So the utility matters, like how will he be used? So a lot of that comes into play. But when you're in a lot of different leagues, you know, you're in 12, you know, you can pick this time Elijah Moore, next time Rondale Moore, you know what, I, exactly. I'm going to go Elijah Moore again and so forth and so on. And you then you look at it and you go, yeah, I've got, you know, in those spots where I was in the early second, I took six Elijah Moores, two Terrace Marshalls, one Rondale Moore, two Batemans, whatever it is, you know, and you're like, that sounds pretty good. I like that or whatever the case yeah. might be. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I do, too. Um, at the same time, though, like. My new philosophy and my, because I've I remember before, I don't know two years ago the 2019 draft when whenever uh, Andy Isabella came out, um, woof. I wasn't super excited about him like from a fantasy point of view like from a real I can't remember where I had him ranked but it was like a little bit lower I think than than consensus and I ended up taking him in a couple of drafts just because the hype was there for him and he was like gonna be. Oh, this like high high volume guy in the Cardinals offense, and and I remember just being like it kind of went against my conviction, but I wanted right. to be diversified, and so and now <clears throat> I really regret that. So now I'm I am still trying to like you know like you said diversify your teams and not just like go all in on one guy. But 
now I'm still basically just being like, if I don't like a guy, I'm not taking him. So I have a lot yes. of teams with like the same sort of like collection of guys. Um, Absolutely. But I think, I think that's, that's the way smart. to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I, you know, I have this saying, zero shares, zero cares, you know. And when you were talking about Henry Ruggs, I was like, zero shares, zero cares. I got nothing. I don't care yeah. about that, dude. I'm out on him. You know, and Kadarius Tony, zero shares, zero cares. Like, I just felt like I'd rather have Josh Palmer than Kadarius Tony. I'd rather have Diami Brown than, than Kadarius Tony. So it's not even that I hate Kadarius Tony. It's that I don't like him at his value. Right. Same thing with Ruggs last year. I preferred T. Higgins. I preferred Brandon Ayuk. I preferred Antonio Gibson. I just did. I pushed Henry Ruggs way to that like almost uh two, three turn. And he was in there with the Lynn Bowden situation and people thought I was crazy. Well, that's just where I had him. So therefore he was never in my purview. And I think if you just stuck to your convictions with Andy Isabel and just put him where he is for you at that time, right. you would have been right. Like right. he would have never fallen to you. He would have never been like, it's not even that you're not taking him. You're just obeying your board and he's never available at that pick. And it's that's so hard about, to do that though. <laughs> yeah. But that's why I, I yeah. look, that's why I tell people to do rankings because you know, sometimes you miss on guys for that same reason. And you're like, why the hell was I so low on him? You know what? That's just a learning moment. But at least you can yep. feel good about your process. Yep. Like, I never want to reach for a guy, especially if I don't like him. <laughs> like, what the hell? You know, totally. Like, you know, the the ADP is, you know, it's like if you were just to rank and just rank everybody by ADP and be like, these are my rankings, they'd be really good rankings. Do you know what I mean? In other words, ADP is really good. Totally, totally. So, so if you're just beating ADP by you know some of these good decisions, i.e., fading Andy Isabella in his draft class, <laughs> that's where you can win. So you just sort of pick a few guys that you're either higher on or lower on, and and let the let the chips fall where they may. And and that's sort of what you learn from that from that experience, I would assume. Yeah, for sure. The, the doctor is in. I'm here to help. Uh, Danny Kelly on the couch talking about his Andy Isabella <laughs> experience. Dude, he's going to be okay. Like he's, he's like, <laughs> I mean, he's like a droppable player at this point. You can't even get in. You can't, I, I think I tried to trade him for some fourth round, like late fourth round picks in rookie drafts. And like people are like, nah. Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> he, they are, there are, they are droppable, and and uh, yeah, it's it's unbelievable sometimes. What what you know? Look, if nobody wants a guy, th- that that often just tells me like you know maybe you go trade for him for a fifth, you know? Because like I mean, right. you're like, dude, he's worth a fourth, isn't he? And they're like, now pass, bro. So you're like, well, maybe I can get him for a fifth. I know, um, especially since they took Rondale. I'm like, yeah, it's it's over for he's him. Done. He's they're gone. like, they don't yeah. even believe in him at this point. Yeah, it is over for him, by the way. Um, but someone who it's <laughs> not over for, you know, last week I had Thor Nystrom on. I can't think of everybody else I had on, but everybody that I know, and including Mr. Danny Kelly, had Justin Fields as his quarterback two in mm. this draft. And I had Justin Fields as my quarterback two. Like, honestly, didn't really ever deviate i started to think about well trey lance and all these other guys and whatnot and i kind of put him in that group and but i think at the end of the day at the beginning of the day and at the end of the process that's where he was he was quarterback two for me in real football and quarterback two for me in fantasy football uh drafts it's like trevor lawrence justin fields give me those guys so a couple questions that you can answer obviously if you were running the jets you would have absolutely pick Justin Fields. How much of a mistake do you think it was Zach Wilson over Fields in terms of process and maybe in terms of what you predict will happen? Mm, that's tough because it's tough. So I don't, it's, it's not like I dislike 
feel uh, dislike Wilson either. I just think I don't know. I, I I didn't really understand why the Jets so quickly seemed to like zero in on Wilson. Um, that was when you peculiar. Have a, when you have a guy like uh, Fields with the skill set that he has, especially in that offense that they're planning on running, I don't know. It just to me it was like a little bit bizarre, and the whole the whole process was bizarre. It, at, at times, I felt like I was taking crazy pills when it came to um, the NFL's apparent evaluation of Fields, and so. Yes. I cannot wait to see how this pans out because, you know, maybe the NFL was right and Fields is just not as good as like draft Twitter or whatever we would call ourselves like thought he was. And that, that, you know, that certainly could happen. And like the one thing that we know, I think in the NFL draft process is that it's very difficult, almost possible, pretty much possible to uh, really do a good job consistently of, of evaluating quarterbacks. Like it's just straight up impossible. Um, yes, so I, I don't, nece- I don't necessarily fault the jets for falling in love with Wilson because you know, he's got that talent. He's got the, um, the accuracy downfield He's like a d- dynamic player. Like he can throw off platform. He can make things happen secondary. Um, so I don't necessarily fault them for falling in love with him. Um, but I do think the NFL will look back and, and be like, why, or at least we'll look back and be like, why was the NFL so low on fields? Cause I think he's going to be very good, you know, for the bears. And so, um, at the end of the day, I don't know if the Jets will ever feel it was a huge mistake because I do think Zach Wilson probably will end up being a good player in the NFL. Um, and, you know, so far, so good in terms of what we've heard from OTAs. Like, it sounds like he's lighting it up already. So that's a positive sign for them. Um, but there's a long way to go. And, you know, time will tell. Ultimately, I would have made the decision. If I was making the decision, it would have been Fields for me. But, um, I, you know, I think... You know, as as the great Greg Cosell would always say, he's like reasonable people can disagree about things like that. So, um, (laughs) yes, it's one of those things where I'm sure they they they, the Jets fell in love with the skill set that Zach Wilson brings. Um, I fell in love with the skill set that Justin Fields brings, and he was my number two guy. And I'm I can again, he's getting rave reviews already too on OTA. So I think it's just gonna be really exciting to see how these guys all pan out, how how this NFL how this draft class pans out because. Um, I was a little bit lower on Trey Lance than I think the NFL was in terms of, I guess maybe I was just a little bit nervous about the fact that he has so few passes in, in his college yes. career and he's thrown so few passes. And that to me is a big red flag. And in addition to the fact that he was playing at a lower level, I think there's just going to be a massive jump and th- there's a chance that he could get overwhelmed, you know what I mean, at the NFL level. However, him landing with the 49ers is like the jackpot for him in my mind. It's like yes. the perfect spot for him to land. It, it gives me so much more confidence in him um, being not, like not busting. Essentially, like I think he's going to be a good pro. So, um, but uh, you know, it's one of those things of because day, like I think Lawrence is good. I think I think Fields is really good. I think that Zach Wilson's good. I think Trey Lance is good. I think Mac Jones is good. History would tell us a few, one or at least a few of these guys are going to bust. So that's right. You know, who's it going to be? That's right. I mean, it's funny because we're all terrible at this, you know, and I say we all, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the yeah, NFL, yeah. scouts, like all of us, every single one of us is bad at this. Nobody's like, yeah, every year I pick them perfect. I've got them, you know, unless you yeah. go to, uh, never mind. Uh, but, um, you know, it's like, yeah, every year we get this wrong. Um, and, and part of it for us is we don't have enough information. And sometimes I think, some of the decision makers really close to the the decision have almost too much information. Right. You know, right. Right. They're hearing so much from the coach and the this and the that. And someone sells them a bill of goods on, you know, on uh Brandon Whedon. And the next thing you know, he's, you know, right. I mean, it's like, yeah. When all you had to do is be like, dude, he's 26. But, you know, it's like, it was it's never like Holmgren. Pro- Holmgren yeah. isn't like some idiot who's never had experience with quarterbacks either. You know what I mean? 
right. I think wasn't he in the front office at that time? I I, I could be misremembering, but um, but yeah, I, I mean, don't remember. But you, you get my point. It's like you know, uh, Matt Kelly and Evan Silva sort of call it the cocoon, and it, there is right. there's this this whole sort of NFL sort of you know, tightly woven community where, you know, it's like anything else, uh, you know, you called it draft Twitter. It's true. Like some of these ideas spin around with us and all of a sudden there's this consensus that we didn't even know we were creating. And now all of a sudden it's that. And, you know, I think that happens in NFL circles too, you know? And so I think there was something negative about fields. I mean, obviously we heard some of that come out, but maybe there was that, that, that was sort of the tip of some sort of iceberg thing. Think of it with me, like, I don't know Trey Lance. Like, I don't know him. Like, I don't know if he's going to be the guy that's like, you know, you talk to him, you're like, oh, shit, this dude is super smart, super driven. He's got all his shit together. Like, oh, my God, talk to this kid for 10 minutes, and you're like, this is going to be the greatest player of all time. Like, this dude is not going to be – it's like the A.J. Brown thing. Like, if you just talk to A.J. Brown about something, you're like, he's, like, crying and, like, he's so motivated and otherworldly – focused on being the greatest of all time like his drive it's like jordan jordanic you know it's like he's like kobe or jordan he's just so driven well like you know the numbers don't show you that you just don't know that and it's like you know you can you conversely you go back to a guy like jamarcus russell who famously you know was given the 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 raiders organization gave him blank tapes uh to watch (laughs) on defensive assignments or whatever and he they they said what do you think of the tapes he goes oh they were excellent you know there was nothing on he never put them hilarious yeah i love that right like so he you know how do we know that about what you know if someone is if Trevor Lawrence is Jamarcus Russell and I mean yeah obviously we, we just don't know enough you know there's not enough information there and, right. and that's really what's going to make these guys fail because like you say in a vacuum you look at all their skill sets and it's pretty pretty awesome so yep. you're right sometimes it's just a little bit of luck of the draw yeah yeah I think you nailed it it's just like the combination of physical talent needed the combination of physical talent with uh you know mental determination the processing skills to do it quickly enough uh, confident, like unwavering confidence. Like a lot of quarterbacks have this, like almost like godlike, where they think they're god or whatever. They have like unwavering yes. confidence, and so you know, yes. I, I don't envy NFL teams having to make these decisions because you know how how much can you can you tell from a guy by interviewing him and talking to his coaches and things like that. Like you're really relying <laughs> right. on a lot of like secondary information and intuition and things like that. It's 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 not easy. So. um and then the other thing that I think doesn't get talked about quite as much, is, and well, I mean, it does get talked about, but like landing spot and surrounding cast and and variables like that are so crucial to <clears throat> whether or not a quarterback is going to emerge. And so, you know, look at if you look at sort of the history of at least the last ten or fifteen years of early round quarterback or, or first round quarterbacks, um, not. It's not 100%, but like the guys taken later in the draft, a.k.a. guys that went to good teams, uh, ended up having better careers than the guys that were taken like first, second, or third because they're going to this piece of shit organization that has like Mm -hmm. completely fallen apart. That's why they're first. You know, that's why they're being picked first. And so um, they're expected to be like the savior and come in and like turn the team around. But it's like it takes more than – quarterback is undoubtedly (laughs) the most important person that in that place, but – you know, he's not going to do it all by himself, honestly. And so, um, you know, like Mahomes went to a team that had been a playoff team that was like 12 and four, I think the previous season or something with Alex. Yeah, he's, Smith, thrown, he's thrown a Travis Kelsey and Tyree yeah. Hill. It's like, there's some help there. He's got yeah. Andy Reid calling plays, et cetera. You're exactly right. like Lamar Jackson goes to the Ravens who are historically a very, you know, 
consistent, well run, well run yes. foundation team. Like, you know, obviously they had to change their offense around him and they did a great job of doing that, but they're a smart team. And that's, you know, that helped him a ton. If he had gone to some team in the first couple picks and like they tried to turn him into like a drop back passer or something like that, like right away, like things could have gone completely awry. Um, so there's, I, I just think that stuff is very, very interesting. And so, you know, the Trey Lance landing in San Francisco, I think is great for him because they're a good team. They'll probably be a really good team. You know, they have the surrounding talent they have the coaching. Um, the bear situation for fields is not ideal. They are, they were a playoff team last year. So it's not like they're a bad team. There is some foundation there, but if they don't do well this year and then, uh, Nagy and, uh, Ryan Pace get fired, then you get, you bring in like this whole new program, you bring in a whole new coach. Maybe this coach doesn't really yes. like fields. They can completely derail co- uh, a quarterback. And so, I don't know, that is the worry. I still have fields ranked two and Lance three in terms of Superflex me for too. dynasty, but that worries me a little bit because there's more stability with Lance. And yeah, me if too. you're, if you're like on the fence about either of these guys, maybe just go with Lance. Um, I have conviction and that's why I'm going with fields. I just yeah. love Fields' skill set, but I definitely understand if people would have Lance ranked higher because of that, because he's going to be a runner in that mm-hmm. offense. And um, there's a lot of reasons to have Lance at number two. And honestly, you could you could rank Lance or Fields one, and it wouldn't really bat an eye at it. No, exactly. I mean, they the upside with you know Lance has that huge upside, of course, because of his uh, proven rushing ability and his yep. limited season at North Dakota State. Um, you know, which is a concern and that's where the floor comes from as well, because the, you know, his floor is just can't do it and doesn't, didn't have the requisite, you know, processing skills in order to be an NFL quarterback had only seen 300 attempts in, in his college career, you know, um, yeah, there's there, that's a red flag for me, but you know, he, he was really dope, really dynamic and really dominant uh, the three D's, of course. Uh, <laughs> Did you just make that up, or is that is that something? No, that I just made that up. I don't know. I was like, I what the that fuck? was one of your brand things. Thing. Yeah, like Wezzo, hey now, three D's, <laughs> hang in there, folks. No, I, I don't know. Man. I was just stupid. Everybody loves triple D's. I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. I get off topic so easily. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, he has that ceiling just because of you know, how, 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 uh, how dominant he was and, you know, how, how, how good he was, but, you know, my anatomy series always looks at, you know, uh, you know, what makes up a, a top tier player at each position at quarterback. It was, it was over, basically you wanted to have a quarterback who played more than one season and had more than 600 attempts, mm-hmm. you know, at least, and maybe even more if they could, you know, so the, you wanted at least two full seasons played. Now, of course, COVID, change that sure so we have we Variable. you know he would have played another year but here's the other thing would he have played good we have played bad we have played outstanding like if he plays bad he ain't going three overall he's just he's jordan love right he's probably I mean, going he's at the end of the first yeah right i mean so you know the the now if he played dope maybe he goes first i don't know like i just don't know like yeah you know there's just that missing piece so it's hard to hold the 300 attempts against him but it's also hard to just be like, well, oh, it's no big deal because it is a big deal. So all these things sort of, you know, rattle around in my very, very small brain. And it just comes out that he's still the third ranked prospect just with you. So I'm with you. <laughs> uh, the, the ceiling is there. The floor. I think the floor is there for Mac Jones and Zach Wilson as well, which is why I can't rank either one of those guys over him. But they don't have the ceiling that Lance has. So it's a real simple evaluation for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. I can't, man, this is going to be so fun. I can't. Hopefully all these guys start. Day one. I know that Lawrence and and Wilson are going to. It sounds like if Fields continues to light up 
OTAs training camp. He has a chance to be the day I think one he starter, will be. but I think he will be, man. I don't know, man. Like they even there was even the the the, the note that Andy Dalton had like three pick sixes or something at Ooh, OTA. It's like did he? Yeah. Okay, well that would be nice. I think it, I think it was yesterday. So yeah, I just saw him like. I don't even know what's real. I just sort of skim that. I try not to. I tr- literally try not to read that stuff because it's really more damaging to your like <laughs> right. opinions. You can't than take it is too much from it, but yeah. No, no, it's fun as hell as much, to read. It's fun as hell to read. Is exactly right. Um, let's go to. Uh, let's go. Let's move the chains, as we used to say. And um, I, I want to talk a little bit about. Let's go first with the Jags, seeing as though we're on Trevor Lawrence, mm-hmm. and you know, there's some. There's some. Uh, there's going to be some fantasy goodness coming out of there and it's, it's very, um, it's muddy. Um, you know, Marvin Jones comes in and he's older. Is he going to really take some sort of, uh, you know, major target share or is he really just going to be sort of a, uh, you know, the, a a tertiary player and it's going to be LaVisca Chenault and Chark and, you know, is, is it arrow up for Chark? Is it arrow up for Chenault? Then you look at the backfield and it's like, we all love James Robinson, but you know he was assassinated this? on draft night yeah. by you know the Travis Etienne lunacy, and but now you have Etienne there, and it's like so. I, I just wonder where this all sort of when the, when the snow globe settles, where is it all sort of line up? What well, what do you think? Well, I'll tell you. I know exactly how it's going to go. Yes. Um, no, I don't. I, I, so I think. If I had to guess now, I think it would be Chark and Chenault are the main downfield guys. I think Marvin Jones is going to be a not a role player necessarily, but not like I don't think he'll be like a heavy volume go to guy in this offense. I think he'll be a, a, a downfield threat and red zone threat, and he'll probably score a good amount of touchdowns, but he's not going to get like a ton of targets and volume. Um, I would say Chenault and DJ Chark are going to be the guys on the outside and down the field. Um, and then. ETN is going to be like the slash guy. I think it just makes too, too much sense for them to, he's going to play that role where, right. you know, he, he's the Percy Harvin slash Curtis Samuel version in this urban Meyer offense. I guess, do they call that the H? Um, whatever well, it is, whatever it is, they call him. He's going to get some carries. He's going to get, you know, some targets. I am a little <laughs> bit worried about the overall volume because he's not going to be in, in likelihood. He's probably not going to be like a 20 plus carry guy, a game, right? No, you wouldn't think so. But, Neither is uh, neither is Camara, and I'm not saying he's Camara, but I think you right. know you could still have a very highly productive fantasy guy um, do that role. So it's it's going to be interesting, but yes. he could he, he would have to have that he would have to catch like six seven passes and I don't know how many carries like ten carries a game to like be an elite fantasy guy, twelve carries a game to be an elite fantasy guy. Um, Look, saying he's not Camara doesn't disqualify him from <laughs> scoring copious fantasy points because sure. here's why. You know, every time you, you and I do the same thing, I use the Camara comp. It's not that, oh, he's the same football player as Camara. It's the right. same role as Camara. Right. And if you look at roles, it's like, Hey, look, Austin Eckler was an undrafted free agent, and he's playing that type of role. Totally. You know, if you want to pull the thread even further down to someone who's nowhere near as good as ETN, it's like JD McKissick was was fantasy viable last year with those sort of that that sort of role is passing down sort of guy who gets a lot of targets and right. So yeah, I yeah. think that's what they're seeing is hey, we want this guy to be that dynamic player when we're passing, when we're just throwing it around, when we're moving people around, when we're going five wide and, you know, all sorts of different stuff. I think they want ETN to be on the field and try and get him into space, which to me sounds very smart. I do think he'll see some rushes a la uh, Eckler and Camara. So I think he's not yep. just a JD McKissick. I think he's closer to an Eckler, 
uh, Kamara role in that offense. And I would say that, you know, yeah, James Robinson will be the Mark Ingram role or the, you know, right, the sort of the, 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 the heavy. And he'll get a lot of, you know, empty carries between the 20. W- what happens around the goal line and who scores touchdowns is pretty interesting because I know a lot of people will say, well, he played in the Clemson offense, but ETN was very good at scoring a lot of touchdowns. Right. And he's a knack. You know, Right. I mean, I know it's in that offense. I I hear it. I, it's not like one for one. I think it's like he's that much better because he scored all these touchdowns. I get it's on a good team, but he just never didn't score touchdowns Like since he hit. <laughs> right. 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 Like he scores all the time. He doesn't even have to be, you know, inside the 10 either. He can be on the other 10 and he's scoring a touchdown. Like he's he's a pretty explosive player. So it'll be interesting to see how that all shakes out. I, yep. I you know, I've got love for Chark. Uh, Chenault is super uh, enticing, and right now his value is through the roof. I think a lot of people are seeing a, a Lavisca Chenault breakout. Um, I'm here for it. I, I don't. I don't know what will happen, but right. uh, it'd be fun to watch. That's for sure. That's kind of where I land with Chenault. I, so the JD McKissick thing was an interesting point. Like he, dude, he finished last year with 80 receptions. That was second right. among receivers, or sorry, second among running backs. Um, 80 catches. And so that's 110 crazy. targets is an average. And that's actually, I think, first among all running backs, which is insane to think about. Um, right. That was 6.8 targets per game. So do you think that ETN can get six or seven targets a game? I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Five, six, yeah, even five or six right? would put him in like, you know, if he if he's also carrying the football a good amount, like you put him in like the high end RB2 range. So I think he's got a good floor. Honestly, it's yeah. not like an elite floor. It's not no. like a Camara, but I don't know. It's right. going to be very I, interesting to see. You. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you in a PPR league. I mean, if he gets 75, 80 targets, you know, 10 rushes a game. I mean, you know, if he sees 175 yeah. rushes and 75 targets in his rookie season, I think that's a fair, you know, assumption. And I do think still that, you know, uh, James Robinson will see, you know, over a hundred carries for sure. How, how many, you know, I don't know if he gets 200, you know, I think he's probably in that, you know, in that 120 to 160 carry, uh, you know, he'll see about 10 a game as well. You know, I mean, you know, some, some weeks seven or whatever, you know, yeah. I think that's kind of what I anticipate from James Robinson, by the way, James Robinson can catch the football too. So, right. you know, I, I look, James Robinson is still valuable. Like Gus Edwards is still valuable, right? I mean, they're both going to see the field, but I mean, in a redraft league, I think I'd rather have Gus Edwards this year than than James Robinson. Although it's close. What about you? That's pretty fair. Yeah, I'd say that's probably they're pretty similar. I should pull up yeah. my rankings. I don't even know where I have those guys. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's like. Um, well, that's that's what you do, right? Is you start to think about that. Like, if I'm who would I, I mean, rather have, you know, right? You know, it's like you I like think I have these tests of conviction. I'm like, wait a minute. Actually, I think I would rather have so and so more. I I think I've got. Where is he? I think I have uh, what's his face Robinson higher. You can um, take your time because he'll cut it out too. If uh, yeah, okay, just go find on, it. Let me, no, let me find it real it quick. Yeah, I've got Robinson higher, but like it's a, it's an interesting thought experiment because now I'm like, wait, maybe I actually would rather have Edwards. Like they're gonna freaking run the hell out of the ball. However, is like how how usable is he like week to week? How we how Gus usable Edwards? is either of these guys really? Yeah, exactly. So I mean, they're I both high end high end um, handcuffs too. Like if anything yeah. should happen to Dobbins or Etn, like Gus Edwards and and James Robinson are right back up into RB one co- conversation. 
uh, I would think James Robinson at that point probably a little bit higher than Gus Edwards because I think in in Baltimore they're gonna they're gonna find someone else to split totally. it with. No one's getting a hundred percent. Yeah. Whereas I think James Robinson could fill in basically a, a close to an RB one you know workhorse role. But uh, so yeah, it's it's interesting to to see who I'd rather have. But in best ball, I think I like Gus Edwards a little bit because he's gonna oh, score yeah. touchdowns. You yeah. just don't know which week. Totally. So. You know, some weeks he's going to put up, you know, seven carries for 40 yards. You'll be like, woof. But yeah. other weeks he's going to have eight carries, 100 yards, two touchdowns. You know, it's like, oh, there's the Gus Edwards week. He was running all over the place, you know. So yep. um, in best ball, I like him a lot, actually, because I think he's going to have some spike touchdown weeks. Yeah, I could see that for sure. It would not surprise me if he has like a two or three weeks where he scores two touchdowns and you're just like, yeah, sweet. I'll take it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, you know. Uh, the other team, and 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 then we'll go to some just sort of quick hitters. But the other team that I think, you know, and and by the way, you guys did a great show. Everybody, everybody who listens to me knows that I adore Evan Silva. Think he's the best, and <laughs> I really, really love what you guys do over at the Ringer. You got and Kevin Clark is awesome over at the Ringer. I love mm-hmm. that team. So uh, Kevin, Nora, you, and Evan Silva did your pod where you guys were picking uh, breakout players or breakout teams. Great pod. Go listen to it. Not right now, though. Listen to this one first, then shut this one off. Then, okay, but go listen to it. It was great. I loved it. But you guys pulled up Miami and Mm. Tua as a conversation point for, you know, taking a huge step forward. I think Silva was talking about Tua as like a 60 or 70 to 1 MVP, you know, player. And look, it's not off the table. If he plays, you know, above average on a team that, that ends up winning, that's how, that's how you do it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's not probable, but it's in, in the cards. What are your thoughts about Miami and Tua, the, the dynasty community? I think a lot of us are a little, a little weary of Tua just because he just didn't throw the ball down the field. It's not like he made big mistakes. He just looked very tentative and, his excuse or excuse me, his reason, his accountable reason was, hey, look, I just didn't have as firm a grasp of the playbook. I didn't mm-hmm. really audible out of things because I was a little uncomfortable doing so. I usually stuck with the play, even if I if wasn't it was sure it was bad. the right decision. <laughs> yeah, he kind of yeah. he kind of admitted to be a little bit gun shy, which actually makes sense. I mean, coming off an injury, COVID season, didn't start, whatever. Didn't get reps. They, yeah. Didn't get reps. Exactly. That's what uh, Evan Silva was saying. And he's right. You know, the, the, if the backup gets three to five reps a week or whatever, you know, a day, excuse me, it's not going to necessarily get him where he needs to be. So right. uh, what do you think of Tua and the weapons there and, and what they're doing in Miami? Yeah, I'm excited to see how it goes. I'm bullish, generally speaking, on Tua. I don't <clears throat> I don't know if he has the upside to be like a top level elite quarterback, but I do think he could be like a back end uh, QB one or QB two, something like that. And where he's yeah, very valuable still in, in, in dynasty. Um, I, so I really liked him coming out of the draft. I think he's an extremely quick processor, extremely accurate, um, good ball distributor. He's got enough athleticism to make things happen. If the, if the pocket breaks down, um, and I, and I think the, the, the playbook stuff I think is a little bit <clears throat> not overblown necessarily, but a little bit misunderstood. I, I think what I, what, what he was saying is, you know, he just didn't know it as well as like he as some players that have been like running the same offense for multiple seasons. They know the ins and outs of it, like the back of their hand, like they can just yes. look at where a corner lines up and be like, OK, we're switching to this play. Like that's the difference between, quote, knowing the playbook 
and not right. knowing the playbook. You know what I mean? It's not like he was saying he didn't know the plays or I something actually thought like that. It, yeah. I thought it was a good – Danny, I thought it was a good thing because it was accountability in the way yeah. that he's like looking for opportunities to improve. If he was like, nope, knew it perfect, that wasn't it. It's like how could you <laughs> – That's a little disconcerting. You know, yeah, yeah. Right? You know, I'd almost <clears throat> rather have him say looking for reasons that he wasn't able to be as good. And you know what? That makes actual perfect sense for every quarterback who's – like if you've been doing something, whatever it is that you do for your work, and you've done it for uh, seven months – or you've done it for 20 years, which person knows that job function better? Totally. The guy who's got 20 years experience in, in your office or the guy who just got there uh, five months ago and is like learning the ropes? Yeah, like, 100%. It's, it's, it stands to reason. It's not even a negative. It's a positive. You know, Now, whether or not he can improve at that is remains to be seen. Right. One other thing that I thought was kind of interesting is last year he had a lot of clashers. Like uh, Gusecki is a fake fast player. Like he, you know, he, he's a, <laughs> but he's a great contested catch player. Um, uh, Preston Williams contested catch, Devontae Parker contested catch. I think two is usually more comfortable throwing to speed, mm. you know, uh, Waddle, right? Waddle, um, Ruggs, Devontae, like all these guys Judy. are downfield separated. Judy, right? All these guys are able to get downfield and separate deep, like speed, right? They, they, they win with speed and crossers. And, and now they're bringing in Fuller, who wins with speed, and Waddle, Look, if 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 he is more comfortable throwing those types of sort of patterns as opposed to sort of contested catch back shoulder this that type of thing, it, it could be wheels up for him. And I mm-hmm. think he's gonna he's gonna find some some uh, some some good soil there with with Waddle and Fuller. What are yeah. your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's exactly right. I think that Fuller is a good defense stretcher, like a, a guy that will change. Like you mentioned it earlier, like a guy that changes the geometry of how you have to defend the field. So basically you can't just like crowd the line and can, and, and contract everything and, and compress everything and right in the middle or whatever. Like you have to like respect that speed. And yes, and, you do. And Tua has a good deep ball. He's accurate. Yes. Deep, deep. So he can make people pay. Um, and so I think that's huge. And I think Waddle does the same thing, but Waddle, where he comes in, I think he's so good after the catch. He's like a running back after the catch. He is a guy that you can dump it off on a little, uh, slant or like a screen or anything like this. And it fits really well with Tua's skill set, I think, because Tua just wants to, you know, get, get back, hit, hit his back foot, get the ball out. Like he's quick. Everything is like in rhythm. Um, I think he wants that kind of offense. And I think that Waddle can help him. Like you were saying, um, Preston Williams, Devontae Parker, uh, Gasicki, none of these guys are like quick separators where they're going to show right. you they're open right like right when you hit your back foot. And so I think he was like not used to that, number one, and it's just not his forte really to play that kind of offense where, I don't know, like whatever it is that that offense was. And the other thing is like this wasn't even an offense designed for him. It was designed for Ryan Fitzpatrick. This is like Chan Gailey coming in with his guy. And right. designing an offense, and and so in addition to not getting the the preseason offseason reps, like Tua had to come in and basically run like an offense that was meant for a different player. So I don't know. Yeah. I think there's definitely a lot of like variables. I was very 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 high on Tua coming into the league, and so I'm I'm definitely so hopeful that he turns out. I think the injury with last year was a big variable. He's coming off an injury, the lack of reps, the lack of playing time, the lack of preparation. Um, and you know, I think it, it's, it's only fair and only expected that he would not know the playbook at the intimacy that you need to to know it, to like really function in the NFL. Like look at right. the difference between Matt Ryan in year one mm-hmm. with Shanahan and year two with Shanahan. It was like night and day. And so, uh, I'm going back to, um, Matt Ryan's like MVP season. Generally speaking, it's like, even for veterans, 
to yes. learn an intricate an intricate playbook where you know all the cut all the checks and all the different little picadillos that are in there to help you <laughs> deal with like the very like the multiple multiple defenses and the weird thing is people throw at you in the NFL um, right to have all yeah, those so just like it, it, second nature not thinking I think that's like the difference so you know I'm not I'm not saying that Tua can do that and he'll get there but I I think he he's always seemed to me like a, a smart player who works really really hard and so I don't know I, if you I, yeah. I don't know if you saw the uh, the uh, it was like a uh, round table with like um, you know Sean McVay. And uh, the what's the the coach of um, of course I'm, my brain fart for um, uh, Green Bay Packers the head coach there Lafleur uh, Lafleur yeah. uh, they were all talking uh, I think Kins, Kingsbury or whatever you know there's a little round table and and uh, what was it Pat Pat McAfee I forget who the hell's pot it was really good um, no it wasn't McAfee whatever God bless me right <laughs> but they were they were all talking I don't remember what it was. You got me in the morning. I'm 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 sharper in the night. I told you this. This is I'm like four Red Bulls in. Get yeah, me going. Yeah. All right. So, but they, they, um, Lafleur was talking. He was like talking about uh, Aaron Rodgers, and he was he was saying like there was like five seconds left on the play clock, and you know there was still motion happening. There was still like they were trying to get set. He had to like make the line call and you know audible into a different route because the defense was changing. And LaFleur was watching it. He looks up five seconds, sees all that's not done, and is like, goes to call the timeout, calls the timeout. But uh, his story was Rodgers actually did get all that done and was able to snap it just before the the, the, the zero. Mm-hmm. And Rodgers was pissed at LaFleur because for calling like, timeout, yeah. For calling timeout. He's like, dude, I'm sorry. I didn't think that was possible. That was so <laughs> fucking amazing that you were able to get all that done that quickly. And that's where Tua, of course, can't be. Right. You know, those types of stories don't happen unless, like, literally LaFleur was amazed that that was possible to get all that done in five seconds. And that's just because you have an amazing grasp of the offense. One other thing that I yeah. think with Tua, yeah. and this is going to sound maybe stupid or brilliant. I'm not sure which one. Even in my head, I'm not sure. Um, but it's that right-handed, left-handed quarterback situation mm. where really every play almost has to be flipped. Or, or you're asking the quarterback to play backwards, which is not how you do. In other words, if you're rolling out to your throwing hand, mm-hmm. you know, for me, that's to the right. I'm, I'm open to the field. If you, if I go to the backside, it's a little bit different. You got to turn my shoulders, and make a throw. Well, if you're calling everything within with a mind for a right-handed quarterback, you're playing right-handed. You got to play left-handed too. So the offensive coordinator, the players, everybody has to be sort of quote unquote used to playing with that left-handed quarterback, not just because of how the ball comes out, but it's how the play is called. You know, you look front side and you know front side and back side for him are two different places, you know, than than a right-handed quarterback. So you know, I think there's something yeah, to that as well. And I think it is. Yeah. I mean, if you've ever played Madden and you've played like Mike Vick, you're like, fuck, what am I doing? I got to, oh shit. You know, it's the other way around. And you know, it's true. Like, you know, the footwork is <laughs> different. I mean, I know it's oh, fuck shit. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's like kind of, st- <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That the offensive court is like, oh shit, he's oh, backwards shit. over there. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So I, you know, it's a small little thing, but it's, it's a real thing. It really does have to happen. It has to get sort of flipped or you're basically asking him to play backwards. Yeah. I think that, I mean, all this stuff, it does make me hopeful. And honestly, like the biggest thing is he's coming off an injury. He's coming off this massive injury. Like if he's healthy, this is going to help a ton. So it's almost like we buried the lead a little bit, but it's like, yeah, Yeah. all all the things, all those things I think matter. The the surrounding cast matter. I'm still bullish on him. I don't necessarily think he's going to be an elite level guy, 
but yeah. I, I do I do think he has a chance still to be a good pro and and, and a uh, you know fantasy relevant quarterback. So I, I'm definitely excited to see how it goes. All right, so we'll we'll start this going this way. So you're in a you're in a dynasty super flex league, mm-hmm. right? And who would you rather have in that dynasty? Let's just say you already have like Dak or one of the good quarterbacks. This is your QB two. Would you rather have Baker Baker Mayfield or Tua? Mm. This I probably go, I, honestly I probably go for the upside and say Tua. <laughs> I don't blame you. It's close. Yeah, let me let me pull close. up my let me pull up my uh, rankings too for for this because this is a lot of these guys are really close, and I think that's where figuring out where Tua is. Look, I I, I didn't even look, but I had Baker and Tua back to back. Yeah, I think um, that that's like I think that's pretty normal. Like, yeah, he, I think on ADP Tua is two spots ahead of Baker according to DF uh, DF or DLF. So. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm going with uh, ADP, so it's not that hot of a take. But yeah, I'd, I'd take Tua. So Tua or uh, Carson Wentz? Tua. I have zero belief in Wentz, unfortunately. Ooh, I, lo- I love this. We're going to get there. <laughs> no, let's go right there right now. So tell me about this because this is interesting. I actually am higher than consensus on Wentz, and it sounds like you're lower than consensus. Yeah. The people want us to fight, so fight, fight, fight. Okay, he's had like one good season in in the NFL. Yep, and it was when he was on a team that Nick Foles led to the Super Bowl. Um, so that would be my immediate like thing is like he was a product of that supporting cast more than he was like elevating the supporting cast. The other thing is just he was so terrible in every aspect last year. He fell apart, um, and he was you know like whether it was completion percentage or accuracy under pressure or accuracy from a clean pocket, like he was atrocious basically in every measure. So he's going to have to take a big jump. I think psychologically, I think he was a little bit, um, I don't know, psyched out or not broken necessarily, but he was definitely psyched out last year. And um, so there's just a lot of variables working against him. He goes to a team with a good offensive line. That's, that's key. And Frank Reich has done a great job of um, working with quarterbacks. Um, including Wentz, but I don't think that the, uh, I don't think that the, the Colts have an especially talented elite pass catching group. I don't think that's necessarily a type of group that's going to elevate him. And so I don't know. I'm just like, it's not like I don't, it's not like I think Wentz is like the worst quarterback in the NFL, but I, I'm just like not interested in buying Wentz in the dynasty format at all. It's interesting. So if we look at like his year, his seasons in in the NFL, yeah, he had his rookie season. By the way, he's an old prospect too a little bit. He came in the league as a 24-year-old rookie, which is a little alarming. He also had, you know, some red flags coming from a small school. But, um, you know, you can look at his rookie year. I thought he did enough in his rookie year to kind of um, make a make a name for himself. And then, mm-hmm. and then he had, you know, the, the really good year. Um, his second year and you know I think that the 2019 excuse me the 2019 season was a bit better than people remember too because you know he threw for over 4,000 yards and he did so for the first time in NFL history without a a wide receiver that caught over 500 yards that was actually pretty sweet yeah that's unbelievable like you threw for over 4,000 yards and didn't have a wide receiver who caught more than 500 yards of of, uh, you know of yards it's unbelievable so I thought those two seasons were very good obviously the the sandwich season he was hurt he only played 11 games but if you just sort of look at it it's like 
He had lowest in his career completion percentage. He's five points below his average, probably even more than that because that his his average factors in that shitty season. So his previous average was like sixty four percent, and he went to fifty seven percent. His 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 touchdown percentage was lowest uh, over those last four years. His interception rate was three point four. He had fifteen interceptions. I mean he's he's been about a one point seven. So he he threw twice as many interceptions <laughs> as he normally throws. Yeah. Like literally, the offensive line was broken. Uh, his QBR was by far the lowest. You know of those last four years. Like he just was he was sacked fifty Sacks. times. Yeah. Right. Like you look at his. You know nothing was good there. You know I thought he was kind of turning the corner and then everything fell apart the offensive line all the weaponry like even the shitty weapons that he was supposed to have Alshon Jeffrey and you know they were hurt right like it, like yeah. even though they were shitty they were still hurt so then the backups were you know we were thinking Travis Fulgham was a thing like that's how bad it was you know Greg Ward yeah. like you know it's just really bad now fast forward they kind of fixed uh you know the the Indianapolis Colts have a great offensive line so that shouldn't be an issue uh, again injuries can befall him he's got two outstanding weapons in the backfield uh earth mover Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines is a great checkdown option in passing game so that's great mm-hmm. and you say the weapons aren't great i agree they're not elite but Paris Campbell i'm way higher on than most uh Pittman has afforded himself well TY Hilton is still alive i think that he does look to throw the ball downfield. If there's any criticism of Wentz, he holds it too long and tries to make tries to do big plays. Of, yeah. Sometimes, yes. <laughs> now, Reich did make him more efficient, as you quite rightly pointed out, right? It, he helped him get more efficient. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm I'm uh, more um, you know positive with Wentz than I think uh, most are, and I, I would take him over Tua, and it may be a mistake. Um, but you know, I, I just feel like he's got a lot around him as does two at this point too. But yeah, uh, so, it, it so actually, that's my it's funny. It's, it's, I thought, you know, we're, we're talking about this comp and I, and, and we're having similar conversations, I think about Tua and Wentz around like supporting cast and things like that. So I guess maybe I shouldn't have reacted so hard or, or so strongly towards Tua because they, there's some similarities like. Um, with Tua surrounding cast and, and Wentz surrounding cast and, and how important True. that is too. So, um, but generally speaking, I, I think I've just get not given up, but like, I'm, I'm just not bullish on Wentz anymore. Um, he yeah. could, he could certainly Fair. change my mind and certainly prove me wrong. Um, but like, it's, it's one of those things where like, I was waiting for him to kind of like be the guy waiting for him to be the guy waiting for him to be the guy. And it's just like, he went the wrong direction almost, or, or certainly. And um, he was definitely so broken. kind of like lost some faith in that. And, and you know, yeah. he's in a good situation now, but um, it's just not something I feel convicted for. I'm not, I'm not, yeah, I don't Well, there's a feel. couple of guys like that, you know, right now there's a lot of make or break seasons, you know, Carson mm. Wentz, you know, you look down at uh, Sam Darnold. That's a, that's a make or oh, break yeah. situation. I mean, yeah. Talk about arrow up if he can succeed there. I mean, you know, right now he's, you know, bottom of the barrel type of uh, asset in yeah. dynasty, and and you know he could he could see a huge value increase if he can just succeed. Literally, just be like Baker Mayfield there. Like totally. he doesn't even have to be like outstanding, just good. Just don't uh, suck. You know, yeah, yeah, don't suck, and he'll be a <laughs> you know a middling QB uh, two. So yeah, I think he can he can make some make some stuff for him. Daniel Jones is also a, a, a player that you know I think is a buy right now. I, I did look, too. Yeah, all these guys have like if he doesn't fire this year, it's like Daniel Jones is kind of like um, Josh Allen was going into last year. Like, not to say that he's going to be as good, but like 
if right. Josh Allen would have fallen on his face, it w- there would have been pressure to replace him. Yeah. Yeah. And then he had an MVP season. So obviously he's not going to fucking be replaced, but you know, <laughs> that's where Daniel Jones is right now. It's like, dude, are you good? And he has to show it this year. Cause if he doesn't, there's going to be a lot of, a, a lot of giants fans clamoring for him to be replaced. Yeah. And they probably will look to do so after this season. If they go, you know, four and 13, ah, see, I remember the 17 game schedule. They go four and 13 and, and he's just a turnover machine as he's been, then th- they've got to look on, look to move on. And that's the, that's the fragility. So that's why I have a guy like um, Tom Brady ahead of Daniel Jones and dynasty, because it's like, <laughs> I know this year I'd rather have Tom Brady. And I also know that Tom Brady has just as good a chance of playing in 2022 as Daniel Jones, right? right I mean, right. it's sad, yeah. but it's true. Like he's almost assuredly going to play in 2022. Daniel Jones would like to, but he may not be allowed to. That's the scary thing about, so like trading for a guy like Hertz or Daniel Jones, even Wentz. Yep. It's like you could be buying low and he could really see a huge profit or whatever. But then there's also like a, a decently strong chance that they are just all bad and the right. bottom falls out and you can't trade him for anything. That's right. <laughs> you know what yes. I mean? You've given up like for what for Hertz, especially like you have to give up the farm to get him right now. And yes. Um, I mean, you're trading away like a massive amount of traf- draft capital. And he could end up being like a backup. Like I, so I made this mistake last year, right before Gardner Minshew got benched. And I feel so dumb about it now, but I yeah. traded for Gardner Minshew when he was like putting up pretty big numbers in the first half of the season. I was like, at least this year I'll have him. Um, he's going to catch on somewhere else if they don't have him next year, blah, blah, blah. And who knows what will happen with Gardner Minshew, but like he got benched like two games after I traded for him and now he's like worth nothing. And I'm like, damn it. So like, that's the lesson I want to take is like pay more attention and be more careful about guys who the floor could just fall out. That's Um, right. And I should, I I mean, it was like not a a difficult thing to see with Gardner Minshew. Like he was like a six round pick. It's not like, you know, whatever. I, right. I should have probably had a stronger idea that he could totally lose all his value, but um, there was also the situation where both my quarterbacks were on by. So like I needed a guy. So anyways, like, but the point is I'm leery about tra- trading like a lot for a guy like that who could like completely just be bad and, and end up being like a benched guy. That's worth nothing. Um, that's right. But that's it. Sometimes you have to go for it. And hurts hurts. I think has top five potential Daniel Jones, I think is like you said, He's he's has the opportunity, especially with the weapons that they've added around him, to make a huge jump in year three, just like totally. Josh Allen did in his year three. Um, yes, and so, I mean, yeah, I can see it. It's one of those things where you know, there's a situation where in a year we're talking about Daniel Jones as like an ascending player. It wouldn't be that surprising. It's possible, man. Yeah. It's so. possible. So let's play some let's play some quick quicker this or that. We'll 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 have some conversation if it's interesting. But I'm just kind of curious as to how you feel about certain players. Mm-hmm. If there's someone you either really like or really don't like their ADPs right now, uh, let me know. But you know, a lot of times you're you're either on the board or you know, uh, excuse me, on the uh, you know on the on the clock, and you've got this choice to make, or you know, or it's just who do I prefer in Dynasty, or who do I you know if I could make this trade even up. Uh, which side would I take? That type of thing. So These just kind so of who all, you prefer. All for Dynasty, right? Dynasty, yeah, hundred okay. percent for Dynasty. Um, let's start with my one of my favorite players. Uh, actually, two of my favorite players. They're all of my favorite. Look down the list; it's all fucking awesome. <laughs> uh, but Cam Akers against Nick Chubb, yeah, in Dynasty, 
you know, one we've seen it before, the other one where we're, it's a bit of a projection. Right. But um, that projection, uh, if, if if it hits its ceiling, is is bonkers. Todd Gurley, you know, right. uh, circa, you know, 2017, 18. Um, Cam Akers versus Nick Chubb in Dynasty. Who you got? This is like exactly what I was just talking about where – Going with, I, I would go Acres, but I'd be nervous about it because the bottom could completely fall out of it and like end up looking stupid. But at the end of the day, I think, like you mentioned, you're chasing like the ghost of of Todd Gurley here. Basically, like yes. he was like the most dominant player in fantasy for a couple of years, and that's I think Acres' ceiling is like in this offense, especially with Stafford here now. They yes. could completely unlock it. They could use him in the passing game. He's good. I think he's a really good player, which obviously helps yes. a lot. Chubb is much more of a floor play where you're going to get what you, you know what you're going to get with him. However, his ceiling is just not very good because he's not, he's not being used in passing game. They just locked up uh Kareem hunt for a couple more years. You know, it's just one of those things where what's the ceiling here. You're getting what you're getting. And that's probably, you're going to have a few spike weeks, but for the most part, he's not going to be like a league winner. Um, I guess I lean the league winner. I lead going for the league winner with acres, but he, he, too, much more risky, much more risky. Yeah, I agree. I think Chubb is definitely just sort of we know exactly what we're going to get. And it's really like if you're a win now team and you're just like, man, I already have like Cook and Kamara. All I need is a running back three and I should be able to win this thing. And Chubb's going to be that. It's like, well, that's that's a great way to play it safe and just make it happen because, you know, he's going to be there every week. He's durable as all hell, and he's a hell of a player. He is also almost 26 years old. I think he's 25 and a half. Chubb is. Cam Akers. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Uh, let me Snuck tell you up exactly. on us. Yeah. It happens quick, man. He is, yep, 25 and a half years old. Um, That's Cam getting Akers, into that scary zone, isn't it? It is, and, it, and we don't see him that way. But, you know, look, at the end of the day, he may last. He's definitely the type of guy that could play a long way. He's a rugged player. His uh, his skill set doesn't wear thin uh, too quickly. But uh, nonetheless, Cam Akers isn't even 22 yet. He's still uh, oh, wow. 21 years old. He'll turn 22 here shortly. So a young player with a lot of his future in front of him. And I love the prospect. So I'm a, I'm a big Cam Akers fan. I would smash Cam Akers there as well, but um, I could understand going the other way. But but Cam Akers and me are certainly, you know, running through the meadows holding hands. There's just no <laughs> doubt about it. <laughs> yeah. Same here. It's, it's true, man. Um, this, one's, this one's fun. I, I, there's a player in this grouping that I'm fading a bit. And, you know, of course it might come back to bite me, but – uh, Austin Eckler versus Joe Mixon for Dynasty. Who you got? Uh, I would go Eckler here, um, even though I don't know what the age difference is. He might be a little bit older, but um, I just okay. trust him more, I think. Like he's just – they're both very, very good players. I just think Eckler in in that offense with um, – you know, Joe Lombardi coming in and potentially using him in that Camaro role. I think that fits him perfectly. He's just, he's done it before. He's an awesome catch. He's an awesome pass catcher. Mixon, I just don't trust. I think he has the ceiling to be elite, but he's the kind of guy who like, it makes me nervous to like, even though he could end up with like 300 carries or whatever, like it just makes me nervous. Yeah, that, there's nothing. Uh, look, we've all been snake bitten by Mixon. There's no doubt about <laughs> right? it. Um, it's like, yeah. Yeah. Dating back to Fool rookie draft, like the, deal. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, we've all been through it, and you know, Eckler is, uh, you know, a bit of a a sure thing in terms of the pass catching role he'll have. But you know, I'll just share this with you. You know, we sort of go back to that 2019 season, and Eckler was great, and you know, but he saw his career high in everything, everything, absolutely hit his career highs. And you know, if you look at 
what he did in, you know, 18 and, and 20, I know he was hurt a little bit, but hey, you know, he's a smaller back too. So, I mean, I don't know, you know, but he's never really been a touchdown scorer. He's never been given goal line work. So all of his value does come from the passing game, which of course should be very, very viable again this year. But, you know, uh, his rushing, rushing touchdowns are in his career, two, three, three, and one. Mm. Uh, his receiving touchdowns, three, three, eight, and two. I think the outlier there is the eight. Um, I don't suspect he'll get, you know, eight to 10 receiving touchdowns this year. Certainly possible. I just don't see that as being, uh, you know, more, more probable. He also was playing with Phil Rivers, uh, you know, machine. Yeah. yeah, The ultimate running back target machine, right? Like he's made a lot of running backs, a lot of money over the years, you know, Danny Woodhead, Naheem Hines. I mean, you know, wherever he's been, there's always been a guy who kind of saw a spike in running back targets. Um, You know, he was, he was pretty much on that pace again last year in terms of targets. Uh, for whatever reason, he he took a step back in efficiency. Uh, I don't really think it's anything to do with him. I think it's just small sample size. Uh, you know, he was over ten yards a catch his whole career, and last year was seven and a half yards a catch. Um, I, I just think that's sort of a outlier in the numbers. But you know, it, when I project him, you really have to get him up to that hundred and twenty target to really kind of make him huge. And I don't know. I'm just a little bit weary of Eckler. He just turned 26 years old. Yeah, he's two years I think older it's a, than Mixon. So. Yeah, I think it's a great opportunity to sell Eckler. I, I know a lot of people are super excited for his his season this year. And quite frankly, I am too. I think he's a great you know PPR play in best ball because he's just going to give you so much so much week-to-week floor with his target share. So I, I have no problem uh, rostering Eckler in, in almost any format. But in Dynasty, look, if I could flip him for – you know, a younger back, a Javante Williams plus, mm. I think I would, I think I would lean and try and do that. Um, but you know, here's to say, I mean, he's just 26 year old. I would lean Mixon, but very, very slightly only for the fact that he's two years younger, but I, I could see it either yeah, way. man. That's fair. That's fair. I get that. So uh, one of, one of the, one of the, the guys we should be talking about too is probably, uh, you know, Najee Harris. So, you know, as Najee Harris is, you know, uh, would you go Najee Harris or Antonio Gibson? Oh, this is a great one because I think both of these guys are going to be heavily involved in the passing game. It seems like both teams, uh, Pittsburgh and Washington are very committed to both of these guys. Gibson is the superior athlete. Um, but I think, I would go Najee. I don't know. This is so close. I, it's so it's close. tough. I honestly don't know. Um, I think Najee is going to beat the new Le'Veon Bell. I mean, honestly. Yeah. So, and, and both guys past 2021, like the quarterback situation is completely up in the air. So yes, that, that's, that's not true. even a good, it's not even really a good tiebreaker. So I don't know. Um, no, it's true. They're like the same age too. Me, yeah. Uh, Najee, Najee's a little <laughs> bit older, uh, just turned 23. Uh, Gibson's about to turn 23. So they're right there in the same spot. Gibson, you're right, is this explosive monster. I think <clears throat> I'd probably lean Najee, although I really like Antonio Gibson. I, it would yeah. be a, That would yeah. be a tough one for me. But Najee, I think, is going to be insulated by opportunity. Not to say that um, – Gibson won't, but I think in a way Najee will see like just every every opportunity. He's like pretty much line. guaranteed to yes, first round it's pick. Guaranteed. He's yep. got the he's got put it this way, his pedigree is like infinitely better than Gibson in terms of first 100%. round pick, former five star guy, Alabama. And then 100%. Gibson was Memphis, 
He was a receiver. He's never, you know, carried the ball X amount of times. Like there's just more to me, there's more variables that could throw Gibson off track, even though we think he's going to be an elite. He's going to be an elite running back. Um, I'm a believer, but I think there's just more uh, slightly more risk with Gibson or, or maybe actually a lot more risk. I don't know. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, so here's one that I don't think I'd ever make this trade. Um, I, I'm I'm one of the only guys who has Lamb ahead of uh, Justin Jefferson in Dynasty, although I mm. love both players. It's like top three and four, whatever. You know, they're they're right there. It's like AJ Brown, Lamb, and Jefferson. Like yeah. give me any of those yeah. guys, I'm I'm happy. But when it comes down to it, if you had to choose, you know, someone you're making a trade and they're like, Yeah, you can either have Lamb or Jefferson as part of this deal, and you can pick either one. You can have CeeDee Lamb or Justin Jefferson. Who are you taking? Man, this is another very tough one. I probably lean I probably lean Lamb, I guess, because he's tethered to Dak. And yeah. Jefferson is tethered to Cousins, who is apparently not I mean, I don't think he's gonna be a long lasting guy in, in Minnesota. So Jefferson's long term prospects, I think, take a, a slight ding because of we don't know what the quarterback situation be, is gonna be. Like Lamb is tethered to Dak. He's not going yeah. anywhere. And so and we know point. this is gonna be an elite passing offense or at least that's how it feels um and honestly i had lamb i think i had lamb ranked higher um than jefferson i'm pretty sure i did than jefferson yeah he was my number one guy that year so obviously i did and then yes um yeah i mean i just think overall i think the upside down the line is better jefferson is awesome though like he's he's already like on track to be like a hall of famer. So it's, this is a tough, it's unbelievable. Decision, you know? Yeah. I mean, you want both. It's like, <laughs> find a way to give, give the guy some more assets and get both. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't have any uh, lamb. I don't have any lamb shares and uh, I'm like devastated so far. I mean, oh, I have, I have so much him. CD. I mean, CD is, so he's a little bit of the guy that I just think was the no doubter. You yeah. know, I, I absolutely loved him, you know, just because I thought he had so much versatility, you know, he can play outside, he can play the slot. He's a really good, uh, uh, red zone weapon. Like he's able to just go up and get it. Like, you know, that's, he kind of looks like a little Deandre Hopkins esque mm-hmm. when he's in, in and around the, the red zone. So I, I absolutely love CD lamb in every single way. I think he's, he's going to awesome. absolutely be awesome. So, Yeah. So what, we'll, we'll end on my guy and see what you think because we didn't even talk about this. So one of the guys that I'm higher on than like everybody else is Gabe Davis. So we'll mm. just kind of we'll test your we'll test your feelings about Gabe Davis. Would you have, rather have Gabe Davis or Jalen Rager? Damn it, this is tough too because like it's a really good one. Rager is a first round pick. Um, yes, really good athlete. You know he's on. He's on a team I think that is ascending or at least whatever. But like Gabe Davis is in one of the best passing offenses in the NFL. He was a fourth round pick. That makes me a little more nervous. Um, it should. But Rager hasn't shown anything yet. <laughs> this, is like, this is like a bird in hand versus two in the bush. Yeah. I don't know, man. I probably still would go Rager, but it makes me a little sad because I like Gabe Davis a lot. I actually think he's going to be, you mentioned the pod we did the other day with uh, Evan Silva. He Gabe Davis was one of my potential breakout second year. Oh, I missed, I didn't, I didn't finish it. So I didn't get to your last. I I put Gabe Davis as a potential guy that could take the leap next year. And I think it's because a few things have to fall right, but he obviously showed, you know, playmaking ability last year. He was basically a one trick pony down the field. That was like kind of his deal, but I think they could expand his, his route tree, um, and get him more involved. Obviously, John Brown is gone at this point. I don't know what Emmanuel, Emmanuel Sanders has left in the tank, but 
he could be the number two offense or number two uh, pass catching weapon in one of the he- pass heaviest offenses in the NFL with a ascending MVP caliber quarterback. You know, so there's yeah. like a lot of variables that are very interesting for Davis. Um, but at the end of the day, I probably still would take Rager just because he's a first round pick and he's probably going to get more priority in terms of like where like his opportunities and things like that. Um, but it might be the wrong decision. I had sent out a tweet. Uh, I was arguing with someone about CD lamb on Twitter a little bit uh, as to whether or not they were, you know, whatever, not important, but in my sort of research for that argument uh, for CD lamb, I, I, I compiled uh, which under 24, so under 24 year old, so a 22 or 23 year old or 21 year old player who saw more routes run than CD lamb. And that list included, uh, last year was DK Metcalf, Justin Jefferson, Darnell Mooney, and Gabe Davis. Yeah. So when you talk about guys that the the young players that the teams trusted, it was Lamb, Jefferson, DK, and then those two guys, Mooney. Mooney now gets that upgrade to um, to Justin Fields. So I think it's arrow up for Mooney. Mm-hmm. I'd be trying to buy Mooney. I tried selling him expensively in one of my leagues. Um, and nobody was nobody was really interested, so it's okay. But I, I I wasn't trying to give him away, but I was trying to see what what someone what might be willing to pay. Yeah, what, yeah, you know, I was starting in first round territory, and of course, everybody's like, "What are you fucking crazy?" Yeah, a little bit, but I was just seeing <laughs> if anybody was Shoot excited. Your shot, I mean, man, I mean, you, yeah, yeah exactly. Because I'm not selling them for a single second. I, I just wouldn't do that. Mooney is not being sold for a single second. And here's the point: is like, mm. you know, you if he ends up being, you know, this sort of, you know. A downfield threat in that offense on the opposite side of uh, Allen Robinson, you know, he could be worth multiple firsts going forward. Like, he, you know, he could pop here. He's definitely going to get the opportunity. Right. And insofar as, uh, you know, the reason I mentioned that about Gabe Davis is Gabe Davis um, saw a ton of snaps. He actually outsnapped Cole Beasley. I think he's a little bit of that Michael Gallup role where he plays mm-hmm. outside. Yeah. You know, Beasley's in the slot, probably will still get a few more targets than Davis, but I think they really loved Davis. He it was it was Diggs, Davis, Beasley in terms of wide receiver snaps for them last year. He was he was out on the field. I think they trust him. I think Emmanuel Sanders is brought in as a as a fourth receiver, not as a replacement to Gabe Davis. I just don't. I think Emmanuel Sanders is the type of guy who can play all over the field. He'll be able to back up any one of those three players, whether it be Diggs. Davis or Beasley and to be able to play in four wide receiver sets. And like I said, play in any situation that they need him to, uh, he's a better run blocker than Beasley. So, you know, all that being considered, but I know you got to get going. Um, you know, as always, I could talk to you all day, but, uh, tell the people where you're at, what you got going. Cause, uh, you know, I probably didn't give you enough shine where they can find you oh, on Twitter. Good. Um, Danny B Kelly on Twitter. And then obviously I've got all my, uh, written content up at the ringer.com. Check out the, <clears throat> the ringer fantasy football show which is uh we're, we're on a bit of a hiatus we're coming back next week so starting on monday and and then check out the nfl the ringer nfl show which i appear on periodically and then the uh i just posted my rookie dynasty ranks so that's something to go check out at the ringer.com definitely i love the ringer tell bill simmons to come follow me <laughs> on twitter all right that would make my day sure. you know i mean i've got a few you know a few big guys following me tell them to follow me no i'm just joking i i've <laughs> I, I've, I've been watching your boy bill for a long time i'm from boston and yeah you know when i was a young man he was still you know writing boston sports guy and all that stuff so i go way back with with your boss and he, he that's uh, awesome he's definitely uh i guess i don't know I, I i love him i think he's a lot of fun he's good for sports and and uh so anyway absolutely cheers to that i agree thanks for coming on (laughs) thanks for coming on this show man i love you i love 
love your attitude. I love listening to your pod. Uh, definitely go check them out at the ringer. They've got all their pods there, all the NFL shows they do, fantasy football show, the dynasty football show, all that <laughs> stuff, man. These guys are definitely guys you want to go check out because they're fun as hell. On behalf of everybody at the Undroppables, on behalf of everybody here at the Undrafted, on behalf of my wonderful producer, Michael Duncan, and thank you, Danny Kelly, for stopping by. We out. <laughs>